Welcome to 30 Years Later. I am Ricky Camilleri. Oh, and I'm Chris Chafin. I'm one of the other yeah, hosts yeah. of 30 Years Later. Such a long pause there, Chris. You know, you got to pick up. Personally, I think this builds dramatic tension and it uh, makes the audience listen more closely. Moving on. Uh, a couple nights ago, you and I had the privilege, the pleasure to do uh, a live recording of a movie that the two of us love, the 30th anniversary of uh tony scott's the last boy scout if you listen to this podcast you've heard us promoting it a bunch of times in here but we did it we actually did it chris how we did, did it, it it went so well ricky i couldn't believe how well it went i think you and i were both genuinely shocked at how like smooth it was and how like it was easy to do and like the screening was fantastic um it was great to see the movie in a theater on 35 millimeter and then, you know, talking to Rex, she was so fucking great. It was great. So much fun. It was at the Nighthawk Prospect Park. Uh, we have no one to thank but Christina Cacioppa, who uh, put the whole thing together and got the print from Warner Brothers and accidentally got the work print that we got to show, which was amazing. There were differences between uh, what's on Netflix for The Last Boy Scout and what we got to see, because what we saw was an unfinished print of the movie. And you'll hear us talking about this. And basically, the recording that we're, that, that you're going to get right now is broken up into two parts. It's Chris and I's intro, which mostly consists of Christina explaining how a work print gets into the hands of a movie theater in 2021. And then the conversation between um, Chris, Rax, and I. And we only had 30 minutes, so... Uh, honestly, there's not much context as to what we're talking about in the movie. So I hope you have seen uh, the movie. There just wasn't enough time to do a plot synopsis and then a description of each scene. So it's really a kind of a podcast for the live audience that was there and has just seen the movie. So if you haven't seen The Last Boy Scout, recommend going to watch it uh, so that you can be uh, abreast of what we're talking about uh, in our recording. Right, Chris? I agree with that 100%, Ricky. I mean, you know, but we'll just drop the trailer in the middle. And I, I think you and I, and especially Rax, are just so um, engaging that how, how could you not be amused by the podcast, whether or not you've seen the film? I and Rax are, are very engaging. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> no, you're engaging too. I love you. Thank okay. you so much. I bid the adieu. And now to the live, the first, of, hopefully of many, live 30 years later podcast this one for tony scott and shane black's the last boy scout this ain't no game flash joe hellenbeck's a private detective who's run out of luck if you touch me again i'll kill you <laughs> two for two Told you. Jimmy Dix. I like Chris. Oh, is an ex-quarterback who was thrown out of football. Another tragic tale of wasted youth. You're nobody. Shh. Don't tell anyone. They were trying to clean up their acts. You vacuum. I'll dust. When they got dragged into the dirty world of sports corruption. So you're going to bribe some senators to legalize again. Legalize. Sports gambling. Now, son, we're going to a ball game. They've got one shot. What am I gonna do? Point at the bad guys and shoot! To get the goods. Ah! On the bad guys. This once, I would like to hear you scream. 
play some rap music. Not of ideas, man. Take your best shot. If they don't kill each other first. That was a bomb? That had a hell of a factory recall. Bruce Willis. Damon Williams. The last Boy Scout. Danger's my middle name. Mine's Cornelius. Don't tell anybody I'll kill you. Hey, everybody. Thanks Hello. so much for coming. I'm Ricky. This is Chris. I'm Chris. Hey. Uh, we host a podcast called 30 Years Later, and uh, Christina, who is one of the great programmers in New York City, asked us to... Uh, after Round of applause for Christina. Yeah. You're right. Amazing uh, stuff. Thank you so much, Christina. Was a guest on the podcast for a, a Van Damme movie, and then she asked us if there was a movie we would like to do here, and it turned out that it was the 30th anniversary of this movie, The Last Boy Scout. And so we asked her to program it, and she found a 35 millimeter print, and then surprise, today, Warner Brothers sent us what is called a work print yes. of, a th of this 35 millimeter This is very print. exciting to me. I could not believe yeah. when we got this email. Uh, very briefly, this movie had a story post-production and post-production process. We'll get into it when we talk about it afterwards, but everybody hated each other while they were making it. There were all these rewrites hey, while they were making it, and um, in the post-process, Several editors were brought in to recut it's it. Ra it's rated like NC-17 at one point because it's so violent. And so maybe some of that is still going to be in this because yeah. eventually they had to cut most of it out. But we've been really curious, and Christina, I'm wondering if you can quickly explain to the audience just how <laughs> a work print gets into the hands of Nighthawk Prospect Park. Because I, I imagine this studio to be something where there's checks and balances, but somehow they've sent us. I mean, I don't I wouldn't know all the answers to this. I think the big answer is negligence. Like, <laughs> nobody's paying attention. Because, you know, films are in a depot somewhere. Right. And at some point, I mean, this print has shown, like I've been hearing from people, because I know it's shown at some point. I don't know that it's shown in New York and forever, if, if anyone here knows any different you can tell me but it showed in Yonkers that's not that doesn't count but um, uh, so it, it, it's been out there and presumably at some point somebody said to Warner Brothers you know like the print that you're circulating is a work print and they're probably just like yeah okay and, you know and so I don't know if it means they have other prints in there like like these things happen where like for instance one time I booked the movie Poison Ivy and they sent us Poison Ivy 3 amazing and they've done that multiple times. This is also like a high Brothers. level of They've done that multiple times. Like, I've heard from multiple people that they've gotten Poison Ivy 3. So presumably, again, somebody says to Warner Brothers, you know, you accidentally sent us Poison Ivy 3. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, sorry, we'll fix that. But then they do it again. So... Maybe this is the only print that they have on the shelf. A real good enough attitude down at the 35 millimeter film print depot. And they're not paying like, attention. It's not yeah. like a major source of revenue for Warner Brothers. So they're not like invested in fixing this. Um, so after the movie, we're going to record uh, for about 20 to 30 minutes. We're going to talk about what you saw. And uh, we have Rax King here, who's going to be yeah, our guest. Give it up for Rax. We're very excited to have Rax here. Yeah. Author of Tacky and host of the uh, Low Culture Boil podcast. And uh, yeah, so that's it. Enjoy this movie. It's a, if you've never seen it before, it definitely would never exist now. No one would ever fucking make this movie now. It's a whole lot of while you're watching it. Yeah, every uh, time Ricky told somebody that we were doing this, he would be like, 
Well, look, I, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but you really should prepare yourself because it's <laughs> deeply hateful. Yes. Yeah. Well, which kind of makes it great. Um, but yeah, so uh, thanks everybody for, for coming out. And uh, like I said, uh, Rax and Chris and I, we're going to shoot the ship for about 30 minutes afterwards. And then if the bar is still open, we're probably going to have some drinks at the bar and everybody should stay, hang and um, shoot the ship with us. So thanks a lot, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Hi. You're nobody. Don't tell anyone. That's what Corey says. She says you're nobody. Think it is a junior. Nobody's raining on your parade. I'm just keeping an eye on it for a while. What are you, some kind of bodyguard or something? Yeah, something like that. Got a match on you? No. Is Corey in some kind of trouble? I don't know. You tell me. Well, she didn't mention anything to me. What's that piss you off? Maybe. Don't sweat it. Women have secrets. Water's wet, the sky's blue, women have secrets. Who gives a fuck? Want a beer? Uh, that was a microcosm of 1991. <laughs> uh, welcome to 30 Years Later. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, thank you so much. Well, thank for you being so here. much, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. What an amazing thing that just happened. Um, I, I, I'm a host of this podcast. My name is Ricky Kimmler. This is Chris Chafin. Yes, Chris, hello. hello. Hi, everybody. Yes, hello. And we're very lucky to be joined right now by Rex King. Hello, Rex. Hi. Rex is a, an author. She has a wonderful book out right now called Tacky. She has a great podcast that is very popular, probably more popular than Oh, than by, a right by a lot. By a lot. Yeah. We're very lucky to have you. It's called uh, Low Culture Boil. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, stop. It's very unpopular. <laughs> Um, Look, this is the only thing we have. We're more <laughs> unpopular than you. Please. Say that. Um, so, man, first and foremost, I have a lot of, that I want to say about this movie. I have a lot of thoughts. There's also a lot of history and weird stuff about this movie. But I think first and foremost, Rex, you know, you watched it for the first time last night, and then you watched this work print tonight, which is a little bit different. We'll talk about how it's different in a minute. But... Um, what did you think when you watched this movie for the first time? Uh, well, <laughs> the very first scene has a guy shooting another guy with a gun <laughs> on the football field where he is playing professional football, oh, and I did not see that shit coming at all. <laughs> like five minutes in, a football player pulls a gun out of his belt loop. I don't even know what he has as a football player. And I was watching it with my boyfriend, Sean, and I was very stoned at the time. And I kind of thought I was making it up. And then I looked over at him, and he was just like, what the fuck is happening? And that was the first thing that happened. So I was and I love, to go. I love how it's handled because they do show a close-up of a guy's eye exploding as like the very first gunshot, just so you know it's really for real. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, and like, uh, I didn't know when I watched it that the the screenwriter was was the lethal weapon guy yes. but i probably could have guessed like within about five guesses so the first thing about that opening scene is what we just watched um and i guess we're recording this so people who are listening to this that are not at the screening you're fucked sorry um <laughs> what we just watched was a work print and before the actual scene with billy cole on the football field we saw the actual monday night football oh, intro right. that oh played God. in 1991 
before you watched football on Monday night, and now this is a work print, so they couldn't actually get the rights to that. So it's, what's, it's not the movie's on Netflix. So when you watch Netflix, that's not what's there. What's there is a much longer credit, entire credit <laughs> sequence so weird. of the movie. It's so weird. We're Bill, Bill Medley, the other half of the Righteous One Brothers. One of the Righteous Brothers. <laughs> the other Righteous yeah. Brothers. Sings a song called Friday Night's a Great Night Friday for Friday Night's a Great Night for Football. And it is it is much longer than what you just watched. It is probably three, to, totally in at least three minutes. And he's got like a long gray ponytail. And he's got a, yeah, he's got a mullet ponytail thing. And he's doing this great, like, you know, kind of like my sleeves are rolled up to his elbow, but it's like a blazer and he's like this the whole time. It's, it's he sells very, it so hard yeah, in that right. movie. I thought it was the real song. And then I saw this one just now and I was like, oh, right, that's the real song. He is possibly real... more committed than Hank Williams Jr. in this. So to... easily. I, I would say the Hank Williams Jr. one isn't as funny as the Bill Medley it's one. not the at Bill all. Bill Medley one is funny. And it actually sells the juxtaposition that happens much better, which is that like we go from this happy, fun sort of You're like... doing this fun thing too commercial. where the aspect ratio is really small like a TV. And then when it ends, it cuts to like super, super widescreen. Super widescreen, rainy night football game that looks like absolute fucking hell for anyone that's involved. And then like, the man shoots everybody on the field <laughs> and then kills himself and says, ain't life a bitch. Like an incredible immediate juxtaposition that happens in this yeah. movie that is unexpected. But we watched this one where we actually saw the real Hank Williams Jr. Yeah, disappointing, uh, but it was, it was still good. It wasn't as good, but it was So good. after the opening scene, as the movie progresses, you know, this podcast is called 30 Years Later and we're, we're, we're kind of truncated for time here. So she just asked, how uh, dated did this movie <laughs> feel for you in, in, in some ways? Well, Bruce Willis had hair. That was a problem right there for, for not, me as a 90s Not the answer baby. I was expecting. He had right? more than one haircut in this movie. Yeah. That's how much hair he had. He had all kinds of hair. Like, throughout this movie, it was just like he was showing off how much hair he could grow <laughs> in 1991, specifically, and never again. And, uh, yeah, I, but, like, in terms of how dated it is, something that stuck out to me, like I mentioned Lethal Weapon already, and it's like a mad lib of lethal weapon. It's like from start to finish, you could just sub in any noun that happens in Lethal Weapon for something that happens in this movie, and it's it's the same story, yeah. but much weirder. Like there's this yes. this aggressive gambling yeah. subplot it's that like doesn't more, make sense. It's a lot more angry and hateful. Yeah. So yeah. angry. I mean, can we talk about just how the politicians look like reptiles? <laughs> in yeah, they look like their like skin is an attack. Oddly, look but... like their teeth are like billowing out of their lips, and they don't fit, and like they're ready to just rip a mask off. Why? Like, is the Colonel Sanders character an Italian? <laughs> he's like wearing a white suit and he has a Texas drawl and whatnot. Shelley but Marcone? he's like, yeah, Marcone. Like, what? And I, I love that he had the bravery as an actor to be shirtless for so long. He was, <laughs> was so great. shirtless. Even, even this president that apparently Bruce Willis saved. I mean, not apparently. We we see that he saved him. It's just such a ridiculous backstory. Even he just looks like this weird reptilian creature that is like, <laughs> yeah, like a horse wearing a mask. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's terrible. <laughs> like 
This movie clearly has it out for anyone in power, which is kind of a, uh, it's a surprising element to, the, to what would normally just be like a standard Hollywood movie. I feel like this screenwriter just doesn't like guys with veneers because every guy <laughs> with veneers in this movie was just like the scum of the earth. And like, fair, I, I don't love it either. It's a little bit of a scary vibe. But every time that senator is on screen with like his chiclet ass looking teeth oh just God, spilling out of his head, I'm just like, this is the stuff of nightmares. Like, this is the stuff of a diseased mind. Who thinks people look like this? I feel like we could do a running list of what Shane Black, the screenwriter, didn't like when it came to writing this movie, <laughs> oh and that God. is politicians, professional football. Women. Women. <laughs> Subset strippers. Any, excuse me. Excuse me, Ricky, are there any heroes left in this game? <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine watching an NFL game and the sideline reporter going like, Excuse me, are there any heroes left in this game? <laughs> like, and the, and the, the owner of the team being like, what? <laughs> I, um, when it comes to the, the, the fact that they're professional football players, one of my favorite parts about the movie is that uh, Damon Waynes keeps saying that uh, his girlfriend, Corey, played by Halle Berry, was trying to get his job back. And he keeps yeah. referring to his job. His old job. Like the professional quarterback of, a, of an NFL football team. is She's going to get my old job back. Like, like he's what, a, what is like he you're a not tender. Like, yeah, like, like head of marketing. Like you're a boy or something. She was trying to get my old job back. It, is that even allowed? Can stripper, <laughs> do strippers like do the hiring for NFL football? Because I was a stripper and that was never in my purview. I was never allowed that kind of access. You to know, you anything. just have to stick with it, Rax, is the thing. You just said you can't well, give I up. I did, <laughs> and, and I never gave up. And I'm glad I didn't. And I'm even a little disappointed because at the end there, they're clearly setting us up for a sequel that never yeah, happened, no, no, never right? Happened. Everyone hated each other too much. Yeah. So yeah, that's the other thing about this movie. Uh, is that the production was a nightmare. Bruce Willis was hot off of Die Hard and by the time he got to the set he didn't like the script so he forced changes into the script consistently. Joel Silver went along with it. Apparently Tony Scott and Shane Black were on the same side and they hated what was going on and they have said uh, in the present or years later that the original script was better which is an interesting thing to say because I've read some of the original script and if you think this wow. cut is misogynist, you have no <laughs> there idea. There is a subplot where the villain, who is oddly played by Taylor Negron, uh, <laughs> is making snuff films. Yeah, this is his whole thing in the original script: is he makes snuff films, and he kidnaps Bruce Willis's wife and is about to murder her with, with a chainsaw, with a chainsaw on the lawn yes. while one of his um, goons is filming it, which kind of makes sense because all the goons look like weird perverts <laughs> in the movie. Like, there's a couple goons that look like your standard goons in a movie, but then there's Taylor Negron and a couple other guys who are like these, like, emaciated, pervy-looking pale guys. And I like, just, just assumed they were like... these guys as goons? That doesn't make there's sense. There's no muscle in this band of yeah. brigands. <laughs> but it makes sense if you realize that they're sort of supposed to be perverts in the and Todd like the Salon film of about the script is that it was one of the highest 
like deals ever for a script. He, uh, Shane Black was paid $1.75 million for this script. He was paid $1.75 million, and then Joe Esterhouse got pissed. So he wrote Basic Instinct three weeks later and sold it for like $2.5 million or something. <laughs> like, that's actually true. I'm not being, uh, I'm not joking. He was like, I'm mad that this man has been paid more than me. I'm going to write an even more misogynist script. <laughs> Great movie and sell it for even more money. And like so little of that $2 million script is on the screen is the other thing, you know, like what were they paying for exactly? So it was supposed to be the the main villain, Weirdo Man, he, w he was into snuff films and they, they cut that out, right, making snuff making films stuff. and they cut that out. They forgot to put anything back in. There's like no reason that he's doing any of this. He's just angry. <laughs> well, I think what happened was apparently the, you know, Bruce Willis saves his wife, but he had said that he just saved his wife in Die Hard. So why does he want to save his wife again? And so they had to rewrite that. I'm, I'm, I, this is not a joke. This is like in the Wikipedia for the movie. It's like, much funnier if it's not a joke. Like Bruce Willis was like, hey, I already saved my wife. Can I save someone else? Hey, look, and they I already were like, did this rewrite it. You save your wife, I did it. And people are boys. Something like, different. I want to do something how, different. Like this is how fucking multi-million dollar movies are made. Some asshole strolls in, kind of drunk, maybe coked up, and it's like, I already did this. Can I do something else? And well, like, you know, Bruce, what do we is, do? What do we do? We had to rewrite it. Bruce, the thing is, we did pay $2 million for this script. Like, we think it's pretty good, you know? <laughs> nah, I don't give a shit. I'm going to go home. <laughs> it's basically what happens. Um, but, on, uh, you know, after that, so they had to, like, rewrite the whole movie. And then in the editing process, there were, I think, like, six, seven different editors. And right? it was it was, it was NC-17 at some point because of so much violence. Um, yeah. And then it kept getting, you know, edited and edited. And I edited. think, I honestly think, like, and this is me uh, speculating, so much violence, but also just like a general nihilistic feel. It's like <laughs> well, a the negative vibes vibe. are fucked. The, right. like, no, the vibes start are to fucked. finish, everyone hates each other, <laughs> and the like. The main redeeming romantic scene is Bruce Willis just cussing out his wife, <laughs> flagrantly cussing out his daughter who's thirteen. It's just, the vibes are fucked. You weren't moved finish. when he romantically said "fuck you" to his wife as the climax of the movie. It was probably the least fucked up thing anyone said to a woman in that movie so maybe maybe I was moved. <laughs> the vibes of this movie are so fucked that one of the characters says boy you sure hate women huh? Yeah. <laughs> one of the characters who also hates women is like you extra hate women like you're gonna bring a gun to a shopping mall one of these days I need to stay far away from you. Right the, the vibes in, uh, against women in this movie are so strong that in order to save the cat for one character it's literally him beating up a man who's drowning a woman for a blowjob <laughs> In the first five minutes of the movie, yeah, like that's, that's how we learn what kind of guy he stage is. For what's to come, They're like he's a cool guy, but he even he doesn't like some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that party is such a bummer. I, like even watching the the final product of this movie last night, when ostensibly they took everything that was fucked up about it and made it like normal. Even then, that <laughs> blowjob hot tub party looked like the worst party to be at. Everyone's just like milling around silently like near or inside of a pool with grim expressions yeah. on their faces. It's just the worst party I've ever seen. Everybody's but so I, fucked up and it's the morning. Like yeah. that's what's really grim about it. It's like 8 a.m. Everyone's people... on their Demerol drip already because it's an NFL party which is like weird subplot that everyone in the NFL is just like constantly on Demerol. I think that's kind of true. It's very specific. It must be true. Like, yeah. I'm not so sure about the Demerol to cocaine pipeline. That doesn't make the most sense to me. 
I, I want to pull it back to uh, a place of positivity because I want to say that's, <laughs> that's what I that's love, what I love about, about you, Ricky. But that's, that's beautiful. But that's what I love about this movie is that instead of the NFL or this party seeming like a fun place to be, it's a fucking miserable, disgusting nightmare where these people who are overpaid and drugged up and raping and abusing each other are hanging out. And so therefore, as soon as we and they all hate each other, they all hate, hate each, each other. other so much. Yeah. And so like to say that, like, I feel like we accidentally talk about it in a way that it's not intentional, but it's very intentional in this movie, especially the way that it depicts, depicts the NFL and people in power. The way that it depicts women in the private lives of the main characters, that's a whole nother story. Yeah, that's unintentional. We can, that's... We can just talk about 1991 in that regard, but the way that it depicts the NFL is, I don't think I've ever seen professional football depict, except for maybe any given Sunday, yeah, particularly so horribly in a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like free agency in particular, he's they really have it on out for he's free agency. Murder, he's gonna murder a senator because of free agents. <laughs> Shane Black went to the library and like found a reference book all about free agency and read it front to back in like 45 minutes and just transferred its contents into this movie like unedited in any way. He's like and up now at I 5 a.m. telling people, have you heard about this free agency yeah. stuff? This stuff is really fucked up, man. I, my, my sense of that is that Shane Black's wrote Lethal Weapon. It was a huge success. And suddenly he got brought to the party and he met a senator and he met a football team owner and he was like, fuck, this sucks. And went and got depressed apparently for two years and wrote this movie off of that. That's what it feels like to me. Um, should we move on? Questions? Let's do the questions, I think. Yeah, because yeah. we're trunky. Yeah. Uh, so we ask three questions at the end of the podcast all the time. And, uh, we thankfully we have told you the questions beforehand. I always forget to do that with it's our because I was in charge this time. Yeah, it's because Chris was in charge. And to be honest, I don't even know what my answers are yet, so I'm going to be making them <laughs> up on the spot. But the first question is very simple. It's just, what was your favorite part of the movie? Honestly, again, X Stripper, the weird inverted nightmare strip club that Corey works <laughs> at, was so fun for me to spend time in. It's chaps everywhere, and, and the music is like early '90s, like taking ecstasy music. And that the song is so weird when she's dancing, yeah. right? Boots on. <laughs> yeah. I got like my boots. Weird, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like erasure style, yeah. like synth, and then a guy being like walking down the street. <laughs> That's not how you make a song. That's not a song you dance to naked, for sure. That's a terrible song for any of those purposes. So, yeah. This movie part. a couple nights ago, and we were like, and I was like, I got to remember to look up this song, and I forgot. And then when I was sitting there watching the movie, I turned to my girlfriend and was like, remind me to look up the song. I have to look up the song. It's amazing. <laughs> I, I did also, like, as an early 90s thing, that you, as a stripper, would have a song that describes the routine that you're doing. Like, yeah. that also was very, like, early 90s to me. It's very, like, leaning into the bit and I don't know I feel like expectations for strippers were much lower when I was doing it which was just right for me I was not trying to do a good job at work so yeah that's it was just nice to step into a world where strippers had to do a good job I guess anytime someone I know has been to a strip club not me it's been more like the songs are like a pre-programmed like 25 to 30 songs that could they could possibly play 
play that are usually like three doors down or something else. <laughs> Wait, and it's like, you've been to the three doors down strip club? Is that where you're yeah. <laughs> That's what I heard in a strip. I mean, my friend heard in a strip three club. Three doors down, wow. Crazy. I too have been to Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, what about you? What was your favorite Ricky, movie? it's almost impossible for me to overstate impossible. the, the impossible. anticipation I was feeling as I realized there was a gun hidden in the puppet. <laughs> and I began to think to myself, is he going to remove the gun from the puppet? Or I is was he going sitting with you when you noticed yeah. that when you that started and to I, happen. I was, and it was like a seventh grader about to see a boob. I was clapping time. my hands and I was going, please, please. Really, you were going crazy for I that. I was because the idea that he was going to shoot people through the mouth of the puppet in the kind of the graphic way that this movie shoots people, I was giddy. And I <laughs> and I was not disappointed because not only does it happen, but then there's a long shot of him running through the woods to gun hands and he's shooting through the puppet multiple times and they keep cutting to people that he's hitting with the puppet gun and I, I was so happy in that moment that this movie is making choices like that a similar one which you know I also love is Taylor Negron going into the blades of a helicopter which is a beautiful thing to do and, and it's so cinematic why don't they do it more often Ricky <laughs> Um, I think for, for me, it's very simple. I've already talked about it. But when they show the photograph of uh, Bruce Willis with the president that he apparently <laughs> took a bullet for, we haven't seen him yet. We've just heard that he took a bullet. And we cut to this photograph, and this man has these chompers that are unbelievable. <laughs> and he's so corrupt and disgusting looking and... It's like 1991 that this movie is doing this, and I feel like we're in this period of time where people are now reflecting and talking about reptiles in this hilarious <laughs> way. And this movie was on the cusp of the reptile politician. It's out front. It was out front. I mean, it's up there with They Live, right? It's it really a, is. Yeah. They, have a, they, they, they definitely have like a They Live with the mask half-off look <laughs> in this movie. It's like V, right? Yeah. Um, so the other question is the second of thir three questions that we asked in case anybody's getting antsy. Um, it's only, the, only two more. It's fine. <laughs> the second question is, you know, uh, we started this podcast during the pandemic, which means we started it in the year 2000 or 2020. God, you're all Ricky, for God's um, sakes, man. <laughs> it's been a long pandemic, guys. Uh, in 2020, and um, we didn't think we would carry it on that long, but we called it 30 years later, and that basically See, What's means interesting to me is, like, depending on the episode, sometimes Ricky is saying, like, so all our movies will be from the 90s for the first 10 years, and then sometimes <laughs> Sometimes he's saying, well, so I, we didn't think we'd be doing the podcast this long, honestly. Like, <laughs> Look, I, I caught the eyes of someone. They looked bored. I assumed that the podcast would end in about a, six months. <laughs> no, um, you know, so basically for the next 10 years, we will be doing movies in the 90s. So we have to ask what the most 90s aspect of this movie was. And for you, what, what was the most 90s feeling aspect of this movie? The next uh, question is much harder in regards to this movie. Yeah. I have to let you know. Well, I mean, this one's extremely hard. But <laughs> the the repartee yes. was very yes. 90s-y. Just and I, in preparation for this evening, I I love to do research, and I found this interview with Shane Black where one of the questions was like, "Why are you so good at writing dialogue?" <laughs> and most people would answer that question with like, "I don't know," but he just like went on this spiel 
about like, I love to overhear people in restaurants and when I hear their conversations, I walk right up to the people in restaurants and I tell them how cool their conversations are. Just the <laughs> longest answer. And when now I'm like- people talking to restaurants, I walk right, right up to them and I'm like, are you talking? <laughs> Imagine you're just having a normal dinner in LA with your wife Shane and Black Shane Black storms up to your table. Like, I like the cut of your jib, sir. Like, sweating and so coked out. <laughs> I love your conversation. Did you know you're having a good conversation? So yeah, I looked out for restaurant talk in this movie and I feel like I saw a lot of it. I feel like there was a lot of the way that I talk to people in restaurants when I don't know that screenwriters are listening to me. <laughs> Chris? Uh, well, there's a certain way, and I do agree with everything you said, Rex, and it was very insightful. Um, but to Thanks. say, uh, just to acknowledge it in some way, I mean, <laughs> he's making faces over there like an asshole. It's like an uh, over-acknowledgement. I liked what you said as well, Rex, but I thought that was an over-acknowledgement. Yeah, okay, whatever, shut <laughs> up. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a way that this movie is both more violent, but the violence is completely disconnected from any, like, emotional ramifications, really. Like, the number one example being when uh, Bruce Willis's friend explodes on his lawn, and then, like, literally five minutes later, his wife is just having kind of a normal argument with him about something <laughs> unrelated to the man she just had sex with exploding all over their house, which is just like only only in the 90s, because I feel like today, they, go, they go back to the house later and yet and there's no caution tape or anything. There's, there. no, yeah. there's, there's not like the charred husk the of a next car. Night, yeah, there's like no like human flesh still burning on the pavement somewhere. But there's lots of things where it's like you seems like you would be traumatized for the rest of your life if this were to happen to you. And uh, people just don't really think about it. They just don't think yeah. about it. Too much. They do that now in movies. Like the the movies now, they have to follow the rules of the way people might behave, and I think that's kind of a recent development. I feel like yeah. it was only recently that screenwriters were like, well, we got to pay attention to what human beings are actually like. <laughs> like that, no person in this movie behaves like a human person. <laughs> And it kind of sucks, right? I feel like I discovered this movie, I rediscovered this movie during the pandemic, not for the podcast, but I was like always hunting during the pandemic for like 90s action movies or erotic thrillers or these like overly budgeted movies that were that you just don't see anymore. And, and this stuck out to me because it's kind of a mess. And you just I just couldn't believe that they would allow a mess like this with this much money behind it to exist. And there's something about it that just feels like they didn't care about being realistic and that's kind of comforting in a way and you don't really get that with movies now and movies now feel kind of cheap because they're always like oh we need, like real people wouldn't do this so we can just put this in a corner somewhere where in this movie it's like who cares what real people would do let's set it on like a wet street who cares if it's rain there's neon lights everywhere yeah, there's like there's 40 cop cars on the street every smoke corner. everywhere there's like one business for some reason has eight different neon signs on the front of it. It looks fucking awesome. Every shot looks incredible and I'd rather sit and bathe in that than watch like some mumblecore director try to make a Marvel movie. It looks like it's <laughs> worse than possible. Oh, so my, my most 90s thing is um, and maybe this will also try to sort of move into the uh, things that we've grown out of, but it's Damon Wayans. Oh. I mean, I know that he had the Lethal Weapon show, but no one gave a shit about that. Uh, but Damon Wayans, in a way, was the 90s for a little while. He was hot shit. He it's, was hot shit. It's he interesting was the to biggest watch. part of In Living Color. And to be honest, if 
we're lucky in watching this movie that they didn't tap even more into his In Living <laughs> Color characters because he had three or four characters on In Living Color and they were uh, a gay man, like a flamboyant, stereotypical gay man, a homeless man, a handicapped man. And I think that was it. Homie like, the Clown. Homie the Clown. Homie the Clown. Homie the clown yeah. Thank you. But also kind of like a, okay, yeah. Somehow I mean, racist against black people, the character right. Homie the Clown. Whereas in this, they really only tap into the gay character, the stereotypical gay voice very briefly when the bartender says like, don't come over, don't come across the bar and fuck me. And he goes, oh, Harv. <laughs> like, okay, man. And then later when he's talking about Prince, he's like, Prince, I like yeah. Prince. <laughs> and like that's the one time Bruce Willis is like endeared to him. He goes like he goes like I like Prince. And like touches his face and makes a sound. And Bruce Willis makes this weird smile. At him. I don't know what emotion he's supposed to be experiencing. During truly, that. He truly hated Damon Wayne so much that they were like, you just have to look at him in a close up. We'll put your best friend yeah, in the seat, and he's not even on camera. And you just have to smile at him. And he's like, but it's Damon. Right in this, and they're like, yes, but just in the fucking movie, it's gonna look like I'm smiling at Damon. And they're like, okay, so try it, Bruce. And Bruce is like, like he just can't do it. Um, So Damon Wayans, though, and all the characters and uh, ideas about Damon Wayans that he brings to the screen for me is the most nice. It's really interesting to watch this movie through the lens of he is the hottest shit in the movie. Like he's like super famous. He's like the uh, what's his face, the king of Staten Island. He's like the Pete Davidson of this movie, you know? I will say, uh, the movie is on Netflix, and the, so if you want to go see that Bill Medley opening, that you should, you great. should, just just go watch that, it's so great. But also, there there is something different about Damon, the cut of this movie, and how Damon is, uh, like, comes across, because when we watched the Netflix the, uh, cut the other night, or the official cut of the movie, there was a sense that, like... Damon Wayans was consistently in shot outside of everybody else in the movie. Like everybody else is doing a scene and then it cuts to Damon Wayans and he's like, you want to be left alone. And you can feel him like nobody wanting to be in a room with him, which doesn't actually exist in this work print that we saw. It actually feels like he's in the movie with everybody. I don't know if they use different takes or... Or had to like go back and reshoot all his stuff for for some reason. Yeah, but it does. It did feel that way when we watched it the other night, the the Netflix version, right? Yeah, I felt like everybody hated him. Nobody wanted to be in the Damon Wayans movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like Bruce Willis is obviously like the ringleader bullying Damon Wayans on set. He's telling everybody he sucks and like all his ideas are bad. Shut up, up, Damon. You're not funny, right? Like he's just constantly squinting his eyes. So you're supposed to be some big kind of comedy guy, huh? Uh, Make me laugh, cowboy. In color, more like in living shit. Whatever. um, so the last question that we ask, because we I think we have to wrap it up. Yeah, I, don't, I have no I idea. I do. Um, is uh, this movie came out 30 years ago? Um, we have grown out of a lot of shit in 30 years. Maybe we have. Uh, but what do you think? This is such a hard question for this movie. I'm really sorry. What do you think we've grown out of that this that this movie does? Oh no, I'm ready to go. <laughs> outside of <laughs> outside of every fucking minute of the movie. <laughs> uh, just. 
Bruce Willis. I feel like this was before his uh, disgraceful period, and then he started to have like a dad rock band, and he would play at Planet Hollywood, and that was. Are his you talking thing. about the return of Bruno? <laughs> God fucking help me! I just like I, the only reason I know this stuff in such detail is my podcast did an episode on Bruce Willis's music career, so I had to listen to a bunch of Bruce Willis dad rock jams, and they are what you'd expect from a guy who looks like Bruce Willis playing blues rock music. And uh, you don't really hear from him so much anymore. Not since Planet Hollywood went kaput, not since uh, his band didn't hit it big. He's straight to uh, direct TV movies. Like he has one that comes out like every other week. There's circulating rumors about his health. Uh, I, I don't know how true they are, so I'm not really gonna like say exactly what they are, but they people have justified his uh, consistent appearance in these weird DTV movies that are look absolutely terrible. I haven't seen any. These are like uh, these movies they like shoot them in Lithuania and they like they they pay one they pay Bruce Willis to come in and do like three hours of shooting and then they can put him in all the posters and everything, but really he's only in like 10 minutes of the movie, basically. Is I also saw a clip recently where they didn't even care that it was his stunt double who was like <laughs> in the shot. Like, I mean, it like was in a close the trailer. Up, his it was stunt like a close-up of Bruce Willis and he was like, here you go, buddy. And he like turned a, a flamethrower on and then it cut to a wide and it was just like a bald young man with a flamethrower <laughs> like in, in like a full shot. So I, they don't really give a shit anymore. I don't think he really does either. But yeah, this is is the heyday of Bruce Willis. He had so much power that he destroyed Shane Black's script. And well, like, it's interesting because this was it. kind of like, this was after Hudson Hawk, so he was actually kind of in a bad place when this movie came out. This was kind of helped him out a lot, actually, because Hudson Hawk had oh. come out the year before and was such a bomb, and it was such a, you know, a pet project of his that um, he was kind of in the shitter, actually. This was good for him. This, this was movie? the same year as Pulp Fiction, right? 1994? No, no, this is no, Pulp Fiction a couple uh, years okay. later. Yeah, like 1994. But he's huge. And I don't know if, like, while they're shooting it, Hudson Hawk had come out yet. Yeah, probably right? not. So, like, he not. still has all this Die Hard, Die Hard 2 uh, juice behind him, and he's the biggest star in the world. And he can basically show up and be like, look, I'm not going to shoot. Unless you put <laughs> a daughter it. in here. I don't know. Um, Chris, what, what about you? Night most mo thing that we've grown we've out outgrown. Of. So to, this is a positive one. Usually it's a negative thing. I mean, obviously the treatment of women in this movie is terrible. I would like to say we've outgrown that. Have we? I, you know, I don't know. That are you asking said, me? <laughs> that, that said, that said, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chris. And I mean, I, are you really sorry no. to interrupt me? <laughs> <laughs> no. But that said, doesn't... I, I doesn't like it add character to this movie in a way like it's not great the, like hateful like, misogyny does that add character sure, to the like, movie but sure like I feel like the banter in this movie and the way that the characters communicate in terms of one liners and how they're they're constantly ribbing each other has been like ripped and placed into movies where it's like the banter is joyless and unfun and has absolutely no color whatsoever like the color in this movie is misogyny I don't <laughs> 
don't agree with misogyny. <laughs> That's but the actually, character specific in this but, movie. But, is but I'd, I'd honestly rather watch something like this than I would than I would watch someone to be like, you know, oh, so you're a superhero? Yeah, I'm a superhero. Do you not like superheroes? Oh, well, are you gonna get mad and turn green? Like, I don't want to fucking they fly now. Versus someone being like, you really hate your wife, don't you? He's like, I hate all women. The sky is blue and fuck women. Like, that's like, <laughs> it's like, sure, it's misogynist, but it's like, it's, it's a choice. Take it's me a out choice. Of my seat, yeah. Right? Versus a, the banter in a superhero movie, which is not interesting. It's not fun. It was such cartoonish misogyny that it wasn't even offensive. It was just, yes. like, I've never known a person to speak about women this way. Like, this is an alternate universe where women are responsible for all the ills of the world and men are rightfully angry at them. And I'm just like, okay, I can get on board a little bit. You know, I don't like seeing women spoken to this way, but it's also insane enough that I'm, I can get on board. They sell it. Mm -hmm. I got a couple uncles I can introduce you to if you haven't seen <laughs> <laughs> if these are your feelings, yeah, okay, great. Um, we just got like a couple more minutes left. Yeah, what, but what, what, I interrupted you, and I'm really sorry. Oh, I was you just going to say maybe what, what you're going to say, which is just the way that this movie is over-budgeted, over-shot, like over-art-directed in a way that a movie would never, ever be today. The, like scenes that are exteriors that don't have to be exteriors, like but are beautiful and atmospheric because of that. But today, they would never, ever, ever be shooting these things on a real street in a real parking garage. Like, no fucking way. Not in a million years uh, and that's you know unfortunately something that we've outgrown a hundred percent I'm gonna bring something up that I don't think is even necessary to this this context of this conversation I just want to make sure well, that then why the fuck are you gonna bring I it wanna, up Ricky? I want to make sure that what I talk about what the fuck are you doing I want to talk about this scene before we're done recording which is the scene that where Damon Waynes brings up his dead baby yeah what in the fuck <laughs> fucking nowhere in this movie and it's really a plot line that doesn't need to exist like it all exists need, for that one dialogue like all we need to know about Damon Waynes is that he's a professional football player he got injured he got addicted to pills the league fucked him over that's it that's the plot line and, and it works and it's less baggy but somehow for some reason this movie all of a sudden has Damon Waynes like looking out a window and being like the truck ran her over. She, <laughs> she was pregnant. Baby lived 15 days. He might have been an accountant. He might have been an accountant. Had the best game of my life the day my baby died. What the fuck? <laughs> like, it's so jarring and shock and shocking that we were laughing hysterically in our seats. And I felt kind of bad because I feel like no one in this theater was also laughing because they were also, because you don't laugh at what the fuck moments maybe like I do sometimes. But like, it is such a weird moment moment and sure I'll tie it to what we've grown out of in the sense that it's like a really baggy character arc that doesn't need to exist and in any movie now they would cut that out immediately and not allow and and and, and not keep something like that in there but what's really that we've grown out of is what Chris said like movies don't look like this anymore they're not shot on film anymore they they're they're just not as beautiful and in in you don't get sleaze that this that's this beautiful and well budgeted anymore it's I mean, loving this is, sleaze this is right? a a lazy, dirty, gross movie, but it's beautiful to look at. Like a, like a woman in a white leather outfit doesn't just get shot once. She gets shot by a machine <laughs> gun like 50 times, and we see every bullet and all the blood come out. Like, that's this movie. A man, man. a man who catches fire and then is shot multiple times while running around a room on fire. A guy and gets pinned by a car into another car and then gets shot in the head after that. <laughs> a man gets shot multiple times by a bunch of, by a, a SWAT team and then falls
falls into a fucking helicopter blade, <laughs> spurting blood all over the window of the helicopter. It's just Give creative. Me more. It's just creative. Give me more. It's just creative, Ricky. You know? If movies could be like this more now, uh, I, would, I mean, I'm at the movies all the time, so I can't say I'd go to the movies more, but sure, maybe. <laughs> um, I think we got to wrap it up. Yeah. Thank Rax. you so much for joining us, Rax. Thank you so for much for, for coming, Thank you. for watching the movie, for, for, for dealing with our bullshit up oh, here on wow. the stage. We really appreciate it. Rax King, she's the, she's the host of the Low Culture Boil podcast. Everyone should listen to it. It's really great. And she's also the author of Tacky, a wonderful book about her taste, about things that she's interested in. Do you want to sell it really fast? Do you want to tell me? That's a horrible intro for you, but do you want to sell it really fast? Ah, is let's what you be just honest. said to another human being, Ricky. Buy my book, please. Fuck yes. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Good night.